Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Good to see you. Some of you are still a little sleepy. That's okay. Glad you're here. Hopefully the coffee will kick in just a little bit. Hey, if you're a first-time guest with us, we want to say thank you for coming into our home. We hope your experience thus far has been a good one. And uh, we've been thinking about you, praying for you, and expecting you to be here. So thank you for accepting someone's invitation. If you're a regular attender, welcome back. And I also want to welcome our online audience right now. Can we give it up for those watching online, our online campus? Excited to be here with you today. Also want to welcome our other campuses, Franklin and Banta. We can give it up for our other campuses. Good to be here with you live in the moment. We're in a series right now called The Problem of God. And uh, basically the whole point behind this series is to try to ta- try to tackle some of the major objections to Christianity or faith in general or spirituality in general. And so in week one, we talked about the problem of exclusivity, the issue that Christianity says there's only one way to heaven. Like how dare we say that we've got the 411 on God, right? And so we dove into that. And so if you missed that week and that's an issue for you, if you have a friend who has an issue with Christianity because of that claim, go back and watch that talk. It was really, I think, insightful and helpful. And then week number two, we talked about the problem of God's existence. And we laid down three arguments that didn't prove God's existence, but made it a reasonable and probable conclusion. And so that was week number two. And then last week, we talked about the big one, the problem of, remember what it was? Evil, the problem of evil. We dove into that. That was some juicy stuff. Do you agree? Yeah? I actually had a friend of mine that, that texted me this week and said, man, you're not going to believe this. I was on a, on a flight back home to Indianapolis. The guy sitting next to me said, you know what? Uh, I, my, my struggle with faith is, is the existence of evil. I don't know how it works. And my buddy said, I used your entire sermon on the guy. <laughs> like, yeah, it pays to pay attention. Okay, because you never know when you're going to use this stuff. So very, very exciting. So today what I want to do is dive into the problem of science, the problem of science. Now, here's the, here's the deal with science. I have to just tell you up front, I hate it. <laughs> Always have hated it. Now, I'm starting to like it a little bit more, but I hated it so much that in chemistry class, I used to just skip in high school, just, just skip that class. Didn't like my teacher, didn't like the way she dressed, didn't like the way she talked. Yeah, I was a punk, okay? So, you know, in my high school, it was easy to skip class. I don't know why, but they could, you could manage to do that. I remember one particular day, my mom picked me up from school. I skipped chemistry that particular day, and she picked me up. And as, she, as we're driving home, my chemistry teacher is coming this way, and my mom is driving this way, and my chemistry teacher stops her car, window goes down. My mom thinks, oh, this is going to be a pleasant conversation. Her window goes down. She says, oh, Mrs. Anderson, missed your son today in class. That didn't go well for me that particular day, but uh, <laughs> didn't help me to like chemistry anymore either. So uh, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I'm not going to talk to you today from a position of authority like I know science, okay? That's not where I'm going to come from. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a hack. I dabble here and there, but I'm not a scientist. So I'm, I'm going to draw upon the authority of some really, really smart people uh, and, and that's where we're going to go with this. The problem of science. What is the problem of science? The problem of science is pretty simple in our world today. If I believe in science, this is what a lot of people feel today in our culture. And our culture makes a lot of people feel this way. If I believe in science, then I cannot believe in God. These two ideas are pitted against each other. They're taught today to, 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 to 
be on opposite sides. And people feel like they have to choose one or the other. If you're a student today and you're in high school, middle school, please, this is so important for you to hear this talk today because you're going to go to school one day, you're going to go to college one day, and you're going to come across some people who think they're really, really, really smart people, professors and the like, and they're going to look down on you because you are a person of faith, and they're going to think that you are silly little Sunday school people that grew up in church, and and they're going to fill you in on the reality that faith is just completely unnecessary, and your parents are going to pay for that like $100,000 or more. So students pay attention, this is really important stuff. There's one reason why we've come to this place in in, in our culture today where faith and science are, are at war with each other, and that one word is secularism. And it's rampant across our college campuses and it's rampant across our our entire country and even our world. Secularism, what is secularism? I know a little bit about secularism. It basically teaches that there is no such thing as a spiritual reality, that all that you and I can know is physical matter. There's nothing beyond the body. There's no soul. There's no angels. There's no God. The only thing that's real is physical matter. Well, of course, this line of thinking, whether you want to call it materialism or naturalism or secularism, uh, removes the need or the necessity or the relevancy, uh, the relevancy of, of faith of any, of any type. And so the people who, who, lead, who are leading the charge in the area of secularism, whether it be Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris, those are three of the big proponents, the evangelists of secularism or atheism, they would say that at this point in the stage of humanity, enough evidence has been accumulated by science to make faith completely 100% irrelevant and silly and put into the category of believing in Santa Claus. You have to understand that that's where we are today in our culture. Our culture. Oh, you're one of those people. You still believe in Santa. Richard Dawkins said this, faith is like mental illness. A great cop-out, the excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate the evidence. The assumption is there is so much evidence out there today that disproves spiritual realities, you would be silly to believe in God. You have a mental illness. The, The message is very clear that if you're a person of faith and you go to church, you're not a thinking person. You don't have the, the, the mental discipline to look at the evidence. You're intellectually lazy, or maybe you're anti-intellectual altogether. And so, therefore, you have to lean into the crutch of faith. Now, the question is, is that accurate? Is that true? Is that, is that, what, is that what's really real in our world today? I'm going to argue against that, obviously. We're a church. <laughs> so, I'm going to propose the idea that faith... And science, or science and faith, they're not diametrically opposed to each other. They actually work together. They actually work hand in hand. They don't, they don't fight each other. I mean, if there is a God, let's start with that, let's start with that presupposition that, that there is a God. If there is a God, then science would be his mechanism or, or one of the ways that he is revealing himself to us. Do you agree, yes or no? If there is a God. And so if you start with that concept, science is actually something that makes faith stronger. It supports our faith because it's revealing to us this God that created 
everything. There's a guy named Alvin Plantinga. You can look him up. He's an analytical philosopher at Notre Dame University. Really, really super smart dude. In fact, someone, many people agree in the philosophical world that he has single-handedly made it respectable in the philosophical circles to be a theist. Just because of the way he defends the faith. Alvin Plantinga, you can look him up on YouTube, you can read some of his books. Alvin Plantinga, brilliant man. He argues for the existence of God in the same, some of the same ways I did in week number two, but he goes much, much deeper. He said this, the thing we presently call modern science was actually conceived and born and flourished in the matrix of Christian theism. What does that mean? Plantinga argues that Christianity teaches a worldview that supports and affirms the methods of science. Here's what he means. That, that Christianity teaches that there is a, a real world out there that we can observe, that we can study, that we can put under a microscope, that we can look at through a telescope, and it encourages us to study and do experiments and to figure out what's going on in our physical world. That's what Christianity does. And it was that very thought process that, that birthed this, this excitement to start to study what we actually see. So the first universities, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Brown, and there's, many, and there's some others. The first universities in this country were, were Christian organizations, folks. That's what, that's what Plantang is arguing. That Christianity, that science was actually birthed out of Christian theism. It encourages it, and it forms it, and it helps us to, to discover what's going on in our world today. See, faith and science are not at war with each other. They actually go hand in hand. But here's the question I want to here's the question I want to ask because I, I want to know this in my heart. And, and this this talk has really helped me to to just have a hundred percent confidence that science has not made faith. Irrelevant, because again, that's what the secularists are telling us. They're telling our kids, oh, come on, it's really silly. You need to give up the whole Sunday school routine. Join the intellectual crowd and, and understand that evolution is the truth and, and, and there's no such thing as God. How do we know? How do we know? Like, come to know in our minds. Students, pay attention. You have to know this stuff. How do we know that science hasn't made faith irrelevant? Because that's the message you're going to hear. So Plantanga has, has, has argued successfully that, you know, that they work together and, and, and science was birthed out of Christianity. I mean, there are others, other faith systems that, that have helped as well, but Christianity was the main one. How do we know inside of our hearts that, it, that, that science has not disproved or made faith irrelevant? I'm going to give you two reasons. There are more, but we don't have time to get into them. The first one is very, very simple. Science has failed to answer the how the why, and the who, or the who, the how, or the, sorry, the who, the why, and the how. What do I mean? Who, who started it? Like the, like the Big Bang, who started the whole deal? Science has failed to answer that question. In fact, when, you, when people try to pin Richard Dawkins down on this question, and say, okay, Richard, Big Bang, 1929, Edwin Hubble discovered the universe had a, had a, a beginning, who flicked it. He avoids the question. He says, you can't ask that question. Science doesn't, science doesn't have an answer to that question. 
So he evades it. And then others will say, well, there were some gases that created an explosion. Okay, where'd the gases come from? Well, it's just math equations. Okay, where'd the math equations come from? Like, if, how do you get something from nothing? They don't have an answer, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But science has not come up with an answer to the who. Hasn't come up with an answer to the why. Why are we here as opposed to not being here? In fact, Richard Dawkins said this in, in, in answering the question of, of why. In a materialistic universe, which is a secular, the secularist point of view, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless existence. You want to sign up for some of that, folks? Why are we here? No reason. But that's the, that's the answer to the question of, of, of evolution. Like, it's all random chance. Like, it's just one big accident. That's why Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist, said this, we must build our lives on the firm foundation of despair. Sound fun? Anyone? Why? Because he's exactly, he's an honest, that's, that's a very honest statement coming from an evolutionary atheist. There's no point to it all. Contemplate suicide, why not? That's, that's real life. So science has not given us an answer to the, to the who and the why and the how. How did non-living chemicals turn into living cells, folks? Science doesn't have an answer to that question. It doesn't. And how did those living cells organize themselves into intelligent organisms? Beings, intelligent beings. They don't have an answer to that question. And how did those intelligent beings then discover morality and purpose and meaning? Science doesn't have an answer to those questions. Those are three very, very important questions. Now, the faith system has an answer to all these questions. Christianity has an answer to who and why and how. But science does not. So we should have a very, uh, we should understand that, that, that science is claiming to have all of the answers to the origins and the meaning of life, but it does not sufficiently answer those questions because science can't do it. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, I've been referring to this book each week because it's a foundational book. Lewis was an atheist turned theist. Eventually he became a Christian. He describes what science can do and what it cannot do. He basically says there's two worldviews of how we got here. One is the evolutionary worldview. We've evolved from lower life forms and the big explosion, the big bang. And then there's the God created everything, Genesis chapter 1 perspective. Those are the two views. Listen to what he says here. You cannot find out which view, A or B, is the right one by science in the ordinary sense. Science works by, say it with me, experiments. You can't run an experiment on what was before because we weren't here to see it. You can only create what? Something called a theory. And, and scientists will call that science. But it's not science. That's a theory. And it's the theory of evolution. He says science works by experiments. It watches how things behave. That's what science does. Remember seventh grade, eighth grade science class? You had to, you had to do an experiment. Well, science can't do that with, with the questions of who and how and why. He says, by, but why anything comes to be there at all and why there is anything behind the things that science observes, something of a different kind, this is not a scientific question. The statement that there is any such thing and the statement that there is no such thing are neither of them statements that science can make. Why? Because science, again, 
works by observation and experimentation. You can't observe what was here before the Big Bang. Or how the big, we can't recreate the big balance. Oh, here's how it happened. Here's who did it. And here's how non-living chemical elements became living cells. And here's how those living cells became, organized themselves into a living organism. Can't answer those questions. This is such a powerful argument that uh, somebody brought it to a guy named Jay, uh, Stephen Jay Gould. Now, if you don't know who that is, he's dead now, but he was the top evolutionary biologist slash paleontologist slash student of science history at Harvard University. He was the top dog at Harvard, okay? Smartest dude in this area of evolution, evolutionary biology. He was passionate about the fact that there was no God. He was an atheist, but he was also honest about what science could tell us and what science could not tell us. He said in an article, to say it for my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time. Anybody have kids? (laughs) He's talking to his colleagues as if they're children. Come on, guys. I'm going to say it again. Because remember, a lot of times these types of scientists, they start with the presupposition that God doesn't exist. And then they go about looking for evidence to support their position that they've already taken. They're not following the evidence to see where it lands. And, and so that's why he's having to repeat himself for the umpteenth millionth time. Science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. What does that mean? He's simply saying science cannot prove that God didn't do it or that God did it. It's limited because why? Science works with experiments. It works by observing things. We neither affirm nor deny it. We simply cannot comment on it as scientists. He's just being honest about what science can do. Students, are you paying attention? If you ever have a professor that say, oh, the evidence is in, (laughs) just go, oh, what what did Stephen Jay Gould from Harvard say about that? Where's the evidence? What evidence do you have that that non-living chemical elements turned into living cells? Show it to me. Just kind of say that. Your your professor will be very, very annoyed. (laughs) What am I saying? I'm just pointing out the reality that science hasn't answered all of these questions sufficiently. And so Dawkins and Hitchens and Harris... They're, not a, they're, they're overconfident in their secularism. Now, let me give you the second reason why science hasn't made faith irrelevant. And this, to me, is per, perhaps even more powerful. The evolutionary theory itself is a logical contradiction. Now, hang with me. This is some tough thinking here. A logical contradiction. What does that mean? Evolutionary theory teaches that the brains that we have inside of our heads right now, the brain you have inside of your head right now, has evolved from lower life forms, chimpanzees and apes and and the like. And those brains that the chimpanzees had developed from lower life forms and lower life. And, and, And what it's saying, evolutionary theory is saying, is that we have discovered through these evolving brains of ours the truth about origins and and life and how we got here. So evolution is, the evolutionary theory is claiming to have truth. You with me? Yes, so far? Here's the problem with that 
idea. The evolutionary theory itself is not concerned with truth. It's only concerned with what? One thing. Survival. Our brains, according to the evolutionary theory, is concerned with one thing, adapt and survive. If you have to kill off the lower you know, animals, then you kill them. Whatever you have to do to, 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 to help your race survive, that's what you do. It's not concerned with, I wonder how we got here. Oh, we have found the truth. It's not concerned with truth. It's only concerned with survival. So how can the theory itself tell you that it's found the truth when it's not concerned with truth? That's a logical contradiction. Does that make sense? Now, uh, Charles Darwin himself recognized this problem. He's the, he's the creator of the, of the theory. Listen to what he said. Within me, the horrid doubt always arises. It was a constant nag at him. What are the convictions of a man's mind which have been developed from the mind of lower animals, chimpanzees and apes, are of any value at all or at all trustworthy? Listen, you got to let this sink in. This blows my mind. The guy who created the evolutionary theory understood that the, the cognitive abilities, the mental abilities of, of, of human beings, they're not concerned with truth. The one concerned is survival. So when we say we found the truth, we ought to question it because we're not concerned with truth. That's an honest scientist right there. Mitch Stokes said it even better. Atheists have a reason to doubt whether evolution would result in cognitive faculties that produce mostly true beliefs. Why? Believing in unguided evolution comes built in with its own, with its very own reason not to believe. Why? Because unguided evolution is not concerned with truth. It's only concerned with what? Survival of the fittest. So anytime anyone, if you're, if you're an atheist, if you're an evolutionist, anytime anyone says they have found the truth about anything, and not even just evolution, but about I don't, any idea, the best political system or the best, you know, I, we ought to say, eh, I don't know. Can't say, you can't say, your brain is not functioned to find truth. It's not designed to find truth. You're just trying to survive. I'm going to question that. Question everything, because you can't trust your cognitive abilities because your brain has developed from lower life forms, and the main goal is survival, not truth. That's a big problem. Do you agree, yes or no? That's a logical contradiction. Now, that doesn't disprove the evolutionary theory outright. It doesn't. It just makes you question it, because it's claiming to have truth. And therefore, science has not made faith irrelevant. Now, here, let, me, let me wrap this up with, with a, I think, probably a more important thought. Does science actually point to God? Does it actually point to God? I'm going to go to a guy named Alan Rex Sandage. Alan Rex Sandage uh, took over the, the uh, research of Edwin Hubble. He is now known across the world as the most influential astronomer alive. Alan Rex Sandage. You can look him up later. Edwin Hubble is the guy that discovered that the universe had a beginning, 1929, already mentioned that. 
Later on, the telescope was named after him, the Hubble telescope that now gives us incredible images, images of space, deep space. This guy, Alan Rex Sandage, took over the research of Hubble, took it to the next level, discovered the first quasar. I don't even know what a quasar is, but he, he found it, okay? The dude is amazing. This is what he had to say about science. It is my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It's only through the supernatural that, can I, that I can understand the mystery of my existence, of our existence. This is one of the smartest guys in the world today with the ability to see into deep space through modern telescopes. Does science point to God, I would argue absolutely. You say, hey, Danny, how come you haven't brought up the Bible at all yet? Here's why I haven't brought up the Bible yet. I'm about to. But you have friends that if you start this discussion about science and God and you say the Bible says, what are they going to do to you? What are they going to do to you? Come on, they got, you got friends, they don't believe in God, they're atheists. What are they going to do when you start quoting Bible verses? What are they going to do? They're going to laugh at you. Because they, they don't believe the Bible. So that's why I haven't talked about the Bible, but here's, here, I want to do it right now because the Bible does encourage science. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. For ever since the world was created, see, we believe in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, right? People have seen the earth and the sky. They've observed. They've looked around, which is what science is, right? Through everything God made... They can clearly see his invisible qualities. Let me pause there real quick. This is what Paul is saying. Through observation of what is created, people are learning about the invisible qualities of God. See that? This is, this is what Christianity does for us. It says, hey, go look at, this is what God says, go look at what I've made, whether it be the stars or other human beings or the human eye or the human ear. Go look at the rocks. Go look at a sunset. Go look at the waves. Go look at the wind and the trees. Go look at a flower, a butterfly. Go observe, and here's what you're going to see. Here's what you're going to learn. You're going to learn about who I am. This is the point of science. Science and faith work together because science affirms what God is doing and has done in the world. What kind of qualities? His eternal power and his divine nature. Wow. That's what we can learn through science. You go under a telescope. You go through a microscope. And you see what God has done. This is the purpose of science. Science ought to trigger your hunger to understand more about who God is. That's the whole intent. So that they, what does he say, have no excuse for not knowing God. We're going to circle back to that in just a second. Some of you know who Lee Strobel is. I mentioned him in the first week, The Case for Christ. He was an atheist that his wife got saved and he went on a two-year search to disprove Christianity. He ended up discovering lots of evidence that Christianity was real, so he became a Christ follower. He wrote the book, The Case for Christ. He went on to write a sequel book called The Case for Faith. He took the same approach. He had some other questions that he didn't have answers to, like how does evil work with God, and doesn't evolution disprove God? And So he went on the same search around the entire country, he went to talk to leading experts in the field of origins and theologians to answer all these questions. 
When it came to evolution and science, disproving faith, he went to a guy named Walter Bradley. You can look him up. He's a professor at Baylor University. He wrote a book on, an excellent book on the uh, mystery of, of the origins of the, of, of, of the human race. I think I, that, I got close to the title there, but he interviewed this guy. He said, Can, t- you know, sh- how does science point to God? And so this guy, Walter Bradley, kind of said, well, let's just think about a cell, a human cell, one human cell. He said, inside the human cell, there's all this DNA. And DNA basically is four Four letters that are arranged in different places. Again, I'm not a scientist, so I'm just kind of learning as I go here. And these little words made up of four letters are arranged inside of every cell in sentences and paragraphs, and they tell the cell how to behave and how to produce proteins and all these different things. And then Bradley said this, each cell in the human body contains more information than in all 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Hold on, hold on, I gotta read that again. Each cell in the human body contains more information than in all 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, when I was in high school, we didn't have Wikipedia. So my mom and dad actually went and bought Bought these puppies, remember these, anybody? In the basement, and then you'd have to go home and do a book report on Abraham Lincoln, and so you'd go, go to the A's, and you remember how much information is in one of these puppies? Lots of words. So what Bradley is saying is inside of one cell in the human body, there's these four little, there's these little words made up of four little letters organized into sentences and paragraphs. And inside each cell, there's more information in one cell than an entire volume, 30 volumes of Encyclopedia Britannica. This is just one. Now, if that's not staggering enough to you, again, we're answering the question, does science point to God? This is what science has revealed to us about the cell. In the human body, depending on how big you are or small you are, there are 37 trillion cells. So let's do the math. 37 trillion times 30 volumes of information. How many words and how many sentences do we have? I have no idea. (laughs) But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. When I get an email on my iPhone, probably like 300 words, average email, maybe less, maybe more. I think that there's a person who sent that, right? Like when I read sentences and paragraphs, I put it together, there's a person who sent, there's meaning to it, there's, a, there's, there's content to it, there's a relationship there when the information comes. And so Bradley is explaining to Strobel, he says, look, when you look at the human cell, you see all this information. The science points to a person who put the information there, not to random chance. Does science point to God? You be the judge. Is it conclusive? Pretty darn close. I mean, when we get an email, we think it came from a person, yes or no? What about all this information inside of one cell? You make the decision. We've got this God who created us and he's laid it out in front of us and now we have more tools through telescopes and microscopes and other things to see what he's done than ever before in the history of the world. 
And some people are still sticking to their guns saying, oh, it's just all random chance. And many others are saying, no, it all points to an intelligent designer, a personal God who wants to know me. I'm in that group. How about you? I think creation is crying out. God is communicating to us day and night his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine Godhead. And he's saying, will you worship me? So I think it would be great to, to, to worship. Uh, Hillsong just put a song out recently called So Will I. Our band's going to come out right now. And, and, and if you're in that latter category, this is your chance. Like, if the stars are going to sing, and if the rocks are going to sing, and if the mountains are going to cry out to God, so will I. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Our band's going to lead us in worship. And let this be a moment not to walk out and go to breakfast. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is a moment for you to express to God how you feel about him because of his creation. Then I'll come back up and wrap up. Beginning of 
Just seated, be seated just for one moment. There's just a few people I want to talk to today. And uh, you'll know who it is in just a moment if I'm talking to you. Maybe watching online or sitting in a seat. And you're the person here today that God's been trying to communicate with. He's been trying to tell you something very clear 
there is not a mountain of scientific evidence that disproves my existence. In fact, I have created everything so that you would actually believe in my existence. You know who you are. And God is speaking to you right now. And the reason you have not put your faith in God is not because you have all the answers through science. It's because of something else. It's because of an unwillingness in your heart to admit that there's a God. It's an unwillingness in your heart, in your will, to surrender to the God that exists. And you've been using statements from Dawkins or Hitchens or this person or that person to support your unwillingness, but they don't have the answers. And there is no mountain of scientific evidence that can support your unbelief. And you know who you are. And through Romans 1.20, what you heard today is very powerful. God would say to you today, ever since the beginning of time, people have been looking at what I've done. They have seen what I have created. And they have been learning about my invisible qualities, my eternal power, and my divine nature. And then that last phrase there that I said I would come back to is very important. So that people will not have an excuse for not knowing me. Folks, here's what that means. That means that when you die, if you should die in unbelief, clinging to your unwillingness to surrender to a God who created the world, God will look at you and say, you have no excuse. I gave you plenty of evidence through what I created, through the human cell, through the telescopes that now look into deep space. I gave you all the evidence that you needed to understand that there was an intelligent designer who created you for relationship and you denied me. And you now have no excuse. Folks, you don't have to let, let it come to that. You can make a decision right now to say, you're right. It's not been the mountain of evidence. It's been my stubborn will. It's how do I, how, how dare I say that? Here's what, my will is stubborn, just like yours. I don't want to surrender to a God and say, I will follow you and obey you. I'm built the same way every single one of us are. But you don't have to end that way. It doesn't have to end that way. You can take your will and you can surrender to God you can ask him to come into your life. This God who created the heavens and the earth, as we just got done singing, also climbed a mountain called Calvary. Creation wasn't his only act. Crucifixion and resurrection is what he did so that he could be in a relationship with you. This God who created the heavens and the earth loved you so much that he died in your place to remove all the sin and the shame so that you and he can be in a relationship. Perhaps today, you drop your stubbornness and your excuses and you surrender your life to God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of surrender. And when you say this prayer, if your faith is real, you'll become a child of God right now in this moment. And you know who you are. If you wanna do business with God right now, 
Take this prayer and make it your own. Say this to God. God, I've been stubborn, making excuses. I now know there is no mountain of scientific evidence that disproves you. It's been my will, my unwillingness to believe. So today, I surrender. I put my faith in you. I'm not even sure if I have faith. It's small. But I think there's something there. So I trust you. Wash away my sin. Remove the guilt. And make me your child. And teach me now. Teach me to follow. Teach me to love. Reveal your will to me as I do my best to follow you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Can we give glory to God, guys? It's amazing. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that with everything going on in the world today, God is still chasing down one person in this room, one person watching online. He cares about one person. That blows my mind. If you just said that prayer, here's what we want to do. We want to give you a free gift. There's a Bible in the back of the auditorium at wherever, whatever campus that you're at. We want to put a Bible in your hands, and we want to give it to you as a gift to start in your new journey with Christ. And we'd also encourage you to check out something called Starting Point. It's a short-term small group where you can talk about issues of faith that you have, questions you might have about God, the Bible, Jesus. And uh, so we encourage you to talk to our teams about, some, about Starting Point. One more time, guys. Can we give God glory? Come on. Raise it high. It's a privilege to be with you today. Hey, right now what we're going to do is hand things off to our campus pastors. They have one short announcement for you before you go home.